Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. I feel like beating a dead horse today. Let's talk about Christian nationalism again, but let's do it roundtable style. Today, I have some familiar voices on the show who offered to come on and give us their views on Christian nationalism. Let's get into it. Let's go. Yeah. Left, right, left, right, left. We got our marching right, orders, man. Left, right, left, right. We'd rather left, serve God than right, serve Caesar, you know me? Right, I'm just trying to live. Chris Polk, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. So just give me a, a little brief uh, your, a brief understanding of what you see as Christian nationalism, where you might be coming at, at what direction you might be coming at from this so people have an idea of how Chris thinks about Christian nationalism. I define it differently, I think, than the people that would own it. You know, that like this Christianity Today article, uh, the belief that America is a Christian nation, um, I don't actually see it that way. I see it's the state is actually a more powerful God to them than the God of Abraham. So they claim Christianity, but really what they are is worshipers of the state. That's, that's really who they are because you cannot reconcile the life and teachings of Christ with the behavior of the state. And they're completely cognitive, cognitively dissonant from that. And so when I when I say Christian nationalism, it's people that go to church, but they worship the God as they they worship the state as their one true God and Savior. Darren Friedinger, my friend, I just got to spend some time with you in Nashville. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Craig. Really enjoyed our time there. Getting to know you and the rest of the rest of the guys that met up there. So yeah, tell give us a little bit of of your understanding of Christian nationalism. Yeah, I uh, I like to keep things very simple. I, to me, Christian nationalism is anyone who is seeking to implement their version of Christianity through government or the state, whether that's from the right, from the left, from whichever direction it may be. It's if you're trying to use the government in any way to quote, preach the gospel, whether that's social justice or trying to influence laws to be made to make things illegal that you think God doesn't like, that's Christian nationalism to me. That is antithetical to what Jesus preached and did and how he lived and how he asked us to live. All right, cool. Paul Perry, y'all. Welcome back to the show, my friend. It's been a minute since I've got to talk to you. How are you doing? Doing well, Craig. Yeah, thanks for having me on this Awesome. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed getting to talk to you. You're like I've, I've, I pick on you sometimes when you come on our Zoom calls because you seem very docile, and then I get to see you on Facebook, and it's a whole different Paul. But I enjoy both Pauls, <laughs> so I get to, I enjoy both sides of Paul. Why don't you give us a little bit of um, of your understanding of Christian nationalism? Yeah, sure. So the way I see it, I, I you know I've been on this observing politics for a long time now. I just see this as a sort of the new iteration of. Um, cultural or social conservatism, where a bunch of people, you know, typically on the right, uh, after being beat up by the left and the elites for decades, are sort of uh, uh, in, this, in this ironic and 
essentially illogical position of begging the same masters, the same elites to please make a few laws here and there that, uh, that, that you know, give them a good feeling that a culture can be redeemed. But the same people who are essentially beating them up and beating up their values and destroying their culture. So <laughs> I, I see a whole bunch of uh, uh, basically illogical things going on in this movement, if you can call it that. It's a hodgepodge of ideas. Um, and again, you know, as, as you know, Chris and Darren alluded to, there's, a, there's an element here where they ignore the, 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 the great beast and sort of, the, <laughs> sort of the rampant immorality of the very existence of the state. And then they try to focus on, you know, certain vices here and there that, uh, you know, vulnerable people or people groups have. And they beg the, the powers that be to be like, hey, let's beat up these people. And so we can feel good that we are being Christian. Apparently that's Christian culture. So, I mean, you know, I have a lot more to say, but it's just a few thoughts. Oh, yeah. The, the, the longer this episode goes, I'm sure we're all going to have our own a lot more to say about this. It's a topic that. I said in the intro, beating a dead horse, but I still believe that the the, the conversation needs to be had as much as possible, because yeah, you know, I can I can I don't want to get too far into this, but I can get on a thread and in, in Facebook, you know, you, you see the God bless America T-shirts and hats and stuff, and then you got the whole thread is full of people like, yes, we're a Christian nation, and, and if you say anything against it, then you you're immediately hit with, well, we were the the country was founded on Christian principles. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. I said, Jesus, I mean, they, they told us not to steal. The government steals. Jesus would be against war. The government, you know, they, there, there was something that came out the other day that I saw. It said that the United States government has been at war 93% of its existence. That doesn't sound anything like Jesus. If you're telling me that we were founded on Christian principles, on the principles that Jesus was teaching, I don't think you're reading what Jesus was telling us. And I could go on a tangent. I'm not going to do that until I get to talk to Cody here for a second and let him give us a little bit of background of himself and what he says as Christian nationalism. Cody Cook, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, uh, Craig. I was going to say having me back, but I don't know what's there's, there's one we recorded before this, but it hasn't posted yet. So I don't know if this will I don't know the order of the <laughs> order of the post. Oh, yeah, this will definitely publish after uh, after after that episode. So welcome back to the show, Cody. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. Yeah, and it's exciting to see a couple of folks here who I've uh, you know caught on on Facebook before, but haven't uh, seen you know in, in any kind of a context like this. So it's uh, exciting to be here. Yeah, it is a lot of fun to get to talk to everybody. So tell me um, a little bit of what your view of Christian nationalism is, basically, because we're going to start this conversation with a Facebook post that you yeah you posted, and then I shared it in the Bad Roman discussion group, and that's kind of how this started to get this roundtable going. So tell us a little bit about what you think on this topic. Yeah. So so I, I had some notes together, but what I didn't have was a definition. So when you before we started recording, you mentioned that, and I thought, oh, shoot, I should write one out real quick. So if I had a little more time to think about it, I might write it differently. But uh, I've got a fairly concise one, which is uh, a variant of right-wing cultural Christianity that seeks to enshrine parts of the law of Moses into the legal code while also affirming national separatism. It desires to make nations identify as Christian politically. I like it. That sounds pretty uh, pretty on point to me because I, I think it's interesting too. And in, in, in this Facebook post, let me go ahead and read this too because I, it's part of this post that, that kind of caught my attention too. Is when, I, when we're talking to somebody, that, I don't even know if they understand that they're Christian nationalists. Maybe they've never been called that before. But when they, it seems like they cherry pick stuff out of the Old Testament to back up their Christian nationalism. 
But if you go to the New Testament, it's something you said in the post. The Old Testament uh, was not transferable anyway. So now we're in a new covenant. There's nothing in the New Testament that you can pinpoint anything about being a Christian nationalist. And only, it seems like they go back to Romans 13. That's all they can cling to, which to me doesn't have anything to do with, with you know, Christian nationalism. But anyway, let me read the, read your Facebook post real quick, and then I want you to elaborate on it, and we'll get everybody else's opinion on it as well. He said, Christian nationalism is rooted in a fundamental failure to comprehend that the old covenant, which was non-transferable anyway, has passed away and that Jesus was inaugurated a, a new co- covenant. It is a failure to follow Jesus and to read the New Testament. It is not Christian. And I think that is pretty important to understand, too, because when you see the Christian nationalists, the, what they're pushing for, to me, is anti-Christ. It's anti what Christ was teaching us. And I think that's a very important point that you made in that Facebook post that I think, I hope we can hammer home today on this show to get people to understand that is what you're doing is anti the teaching of Christ. It goes against everything he was teaching us. But you want to elaborate on that a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. So, so uh, one thing I would do is... Uh, I think start by distinguishing the Old Testament from the Old Covenant. I think the Old Testament remains, uh, you know, it was inspired by God and it remains to be inspired by God. Um, However, what the Old Testament uh, testifies to is an Old Covenant that's no longer in effect. It was a temporary covenant um, and it was meant to basically be in effect only until the New Covenant came through Christ. And so um, as evidence that that it's it's gone away, in case anyone doubts that, (laughs) you can look at the end of the sacrificial system, the end of the priesthood. Those are things that signal that the law of Moses as a unit had ended. Um, so you can't, you know, just sort of take away parts of it and say the rest of it's still in effect, which is what a lot of Christian nationalists like to do. As a unit, it's gone. And so in Second Corinthians 3, Paul describes the old covenant carved in stone, which is a reference to the Ten Commandments, as something that brought condemnation, death, and a glory that was already fading at the time he wrote. In Galatians, he says that a return to the old covenant is as good as a return to paganism in comparison to the glorious new covenant that Christ bought or brought rather. So one significant difference between the covenants is that while the old covenant was made with one nation located in one geographical location, the new covenant is a spiritual kingdom that breaks down ethnic and geographical borders. So while, while physical kingdoms uh, like Rome or ancient Israel or America use violence to support their power and to protect their prerogatives, uh, Jesus is clear in John 18, 36, that the kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom, so its citizens don't support it with violence, which is a point that uh, Paul concurs with in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4, by the way. Add to this that political power is described throughout the Bible as under the authority of Satan and the demons, and it becomes clear that Christian nationalism is anti-Christian and anti-gospel philosophy. I agree 100%. We could probably end the show right there. What do y'all think? Yeah, yeah, just shut it down. We're done. <laughs> Thank you. Just clarified everything we needed to know. Y'all have any any thoughts on what Cody just said, or do y'all want to go to the article? Because I think y'all have some some things y'all might want to add to it. Well, I I would, uh, you know, when I was introduced by accident by a pastor who, um, he calls it Carl, context, audience, uh, historical relevance, and language. When I was introduced to that way of looking at the scriptures and looking at history instead of do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Um, If you'll just behave correctly, you'll get into heaven and you won't go to hell. And it was a very binary, and it was boring, really. I was bored to tears growing up in church. And when I was introduced to the view of the scriptures, using the scriptures themselves, as Cody just did, 
I mean, when you read that, when you read Paul talking about the old covenant the way he did, I don't know how you can't see that there's been a problem for the last 250 years, especially in Western culture, because uh, that's really not even an American thing. We we have it in Europe. We have it in uh, South America. It's it's all over the world, this problem of not looking at the history and the context and the audience and the language. So <clears throat> when I got to that point, I realized that not only can I apply that to the scriptures, I can apply that to American history, I can apply it to world history, I can apply it to recent events, current events. And that's what made me become untriggerable. I can't I can no longer be triggered because I'm no longer a part of that cult. And, you know, using a, a recent event, there have been two music videos released in the last two weeks, and both sides of the aisle of the nationalists, Christian or otherwise, are all very upset and they're very triggered because one guy made a video that one side didn't like, and then the other guy made a video that the other side that the other side didn't like. But I see them as one gang. I don't see them as I mean, they're they're like a denomination of the same gang, the same cult. But they're really no different in their behavior, in their beliefs and their outlook. So it was the historical relevance for me that allowed me to hear what Cody just said and go, wow, what a relief. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, so the, just a thought that came into my mind. I mean, you know, part of the Christian nationalist creed is already, I mean, baked into what they're trying to say is this assumption that there is a collective we that can make this decision <laughs> collectively that we are part of a Christian nation. I mean, Christian nation, which goes to show that they don't recognize the reality that the liberal political order is already a different kingdom, uh, just ontologically, and it's a different religion. It's almost like, you know, st I mean, uh, standing up in Saudi Arabia or, or Iran and saying Saudi Arabia should be a Christian nation. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't compute, right? I, I mean, but here we have this sort of uh, blinders on because there is this false nostalgic sense that somehow the, the history of America and its founding, you know, the, the mythology says it's a Christian founding. So, you know, people don't see that. So I challenge Christian nationalists, like, okay, if you're really serious that you want a Christian nation, why are you begging the crooks and the perverts in D.C. for permission? Declare independence and seriously make a new political union with Christianity as your state religion. I mean, I mean, if you're serious, do it. Yeah, I find that interesting, too, because if you try to explain this to one of them, in their mind, it seems like they feel like they can change D.C. by getting more Christians involved. They can change the political. By getting more Christians involved, it's going to change the way the government in the United States looks. And I think that's silly. I think that that's been tried over and over and over again, and it just doesn't work. And it's it's it, it's a, it's another thing that flies in the face of, the, of everything that Jesus was teaching us. You know, now it's kind of it sounds like what you're talking about is that they're talking like some 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 form of secession where they're, they're they're starting their own thing, maybe their own society where it's a Christian nation. But I don't even know what that to me. That sounds like a horrible idea, even if they could even if they did try to follow through with it. It sounds like it would go go awry because a lot of them are going to tell you that our country was founded on Christian principles. Well, if that's the case, now Joe Biden's our president. Something's not working with, with your ideal of a Christian nation, okay? We had Donald Trump, who was, I don't care if he calls himself a Christian or not, that dude's not a Christian, okay? It, it, 
but you can't tell a Christian nationalist that, you know, there's been some of them will tell you that he was the second coming of Christ. It's really strange how they go through all this stuff. Darren, go ahead. Yeah. I just, I, I noticed the trend and it's pretty obvious to us. I think that the people calling for this country to be declared a Christian nation, whether mostly on the right, but even on the people on the left that I hear wanting to use the sword for their purposes. I mean, We've all had that whole Romans 13 thrown in our face so many times, the verse where it says, the Lord does not bear the sword in vain. They want that sword used in their favor. It seems to always come from the, the persecuted class, those that feel like they've been persecuted, whether it's real or imagined or whatever it may be. They want that sword used to defend their principles when, after decades, years, however, however long it's been that they feel they've been persecuted. They think it's their time to serve justice to the to the people that have been persecuting them. And that is, like I said before, it's just completely antithetical to what Christ preached and how he told us to engage this world. I used to have that mentality too. I, I had the mentality of like, we could just change this with getting more Christians in. So did I. I've always had this, I remember going to church years ago and I had this mindset that I can't wait for these people to pay for how they've treated me this whole time for being a Christian. It reminded me of something that I read about Tertullian when he said that, that he could not wait to see his enemies burning in hell, like he was going to be celebrating that. And, I, and as much as I talk about him and as much as I adore him, I completely disagree with him on that topic now. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm all about Tertullian when it comes to how the Christian engages the, you know, the empire. But when it comes to that, I'm like, I, would, I mean, I'm pretty sure at this point, Tertullian knows he was wrong. You know, I would, I would, I would hope so. Anyway, because that's just, and it's just a, a such a sad state of mind I have too. When you think about what Jesus was wanting us to do, and, and just the idea of getting more Christians involved with the politics, it just doesn't go anywhere. It goes in reverse, actually. You know, if we were actually promoting the kingdom of God and living a kingdom life, you know, I went to church today for the first time since the government lockdowns. And it was a non-denominational church, and I was—I didn't see any flags in the in, anywhere in the building, so I was I was good with that, and so I didn't know what to expect. I've, I've been really hard on churches about since the lockdowns, and I I went in there and listened to it, and the, the preacher was talking about there was one part he said, and I and I really appreciated what he said. He said we need to get back to a kingdom culture mindset, get out of this American culture mindset, this Latin mindset or culture mindset, this Asian culture mindset. We need to get back to a kingdom culture mindset. And of course, the, the church was clapping and, and amen and him all the way through it. But the, me being a cynic these days, in the back of my mind, I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if they really mean it when they're amen and what he's saying. Do they know what they're what they're what they really believe when they're thinking this? Because are they going to run out and still try to fix this? the government of the United States. I don't know. It was my first day there. I really enjoyed the service. I enjoyed, I really appreciated that as well. So that's, that's my problem with going back to churches. I, I, I'm a cynic. I'm a big time cynic. So I, I'm really curious. I'm hoping to get to meet some of these folks on a personal level and get to talk to them about them, talk to them about this stuff, you know, eventually as well. But Cody, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so I, I was just thinking um, what Christian nationalism is, is, I think trying to sort of do is um, define us as a collective in a way that I think is very consistent with, um, you know, the, the way like ancient Romans would think about it. So like, you know, Seneca wrote about, you know, this sort of commonwealth 
um, you know, that we've been assigned to by accident of birth, you know, the, the Commonwealth of the Athenians or the Carthaginians. And, um, and in that mindset, you spoke of the people as like a body and, you know, the head of the body would be Caesar, Nero, someone like that. And so it, it's in this sort of cultural context that Paul comes in and says, you know, the head is Christ and we are a different body. And so he even contrasts, I mean, there's different language that Paul uses, but it's like Adam is head, the old humanity, the body of sin. And, uh, and though he doesn't make this explicit, I think he, he probably would. These other sort of bodies, these political bodies um, for, for Paul, that's not significant. What's significant is the body that we are in of Christ, that, that kingdom of Christ is Christ is the head, not as not Nero, uh, not Adam, but Christ. And I think that's that's one kind of major issue that I see with Christian nationalism is that it seeks to, you know, that, that they'll sort of say, well, you know, of course, we know that the church is one thing and the state is something else. You know, we want to get them a little closer together and behave a little bit more like each other. But but nevertheless, they, they make this distinction. Um, but 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 I think I think they're blurring those those really important distinctions by um, by wanting the state to behave um, as I mean, as the church, essentially. Yeah, and is there any evidence of this being productive? To uh, do you mean in the sense of um, I we anything good come out of Christian nationalism, or do we think that they're that they're going to? Uh, there's any evidence that they're going to win? <laughs> is there any evidence that that working through the state as a Christian, trying to get the state to to behave as a Christian government, or is there any evidence of that ever being a thing? I haven't seen anything. I mean, because there was, and I've brought this up before, and I'm, I don't know how old this this uh, poll is, but it was a Pew Data. Oh, and there was like they took they uh, polled several congressmen and women and 86 percent of them. I think it was 86 percent of them said they were all identified as Christians. Right. And if that's the case, if you got a super majority of Christians in office and I'm not don't, don't get me wrong, I don't believe they're all Christians. I think it's just something they say to get elected. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case, something's gone wrong. It's like I said a while ago. Now we have Joe Biden as president who claims to be a Christian as well, you know. I think you can make an argument that um, the influence of Christianity on the West has been positive as far as that, that we've moved in maybe a better direction because of that. <laughs> but I think what, what you can't say is that is that the state has been an effective tool for making people more like Christ. <laughs> um, you know, so, so yes, there's a cultural influence, there's a philosophical influence. But they, they never follow it through consistently because the state is the kind of thing that can't be like Christ. The state is the monopoly on force, it's violence, it's coercion. And so there, there's there's a, a fundamental contradiction there between that and Christ. I mean, it, it can get better, it can get nicer. And you know, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I'm thankful that there's been a Christian influence on the West. Uh, but but what we can't say is that the ch- that the state is can make people more Christ-like or that it can behave Christ-like itself. I agree. Chris, go ahead. You know, make America great again implies that America was once great or better than it is today. We need to get back to the kingdom implies that we were at one time kingdom focused and not nation focused, not self focused. And I challenge those whenever I hear them because I'm 47 years old, living in the year 2023. And I believe that this is the most fascinating, most productive, safest, most prosperous time to be alive in all of human history. Are there people suffering? Yes, they are. Um, are, are there people who uh, are, are directly affected 
uh, and living a hellish existence right now today because of the state? Yes, 100%. So when I say that, I'm not denying that there are problems in the world, that there are problems in America, the homeless crisis. It's a real crisis. It's a real thing. Uh, the opioid crisis is a real thing. But all of these things are directly attributable to the existence of the state. Monetary problems, drug problems, homeless problems, all of these problems can be directly blamed on the state. And so I can't unsee that. But as I sit here in my office looking at four faces that I know without a shadow of a doubt that before social media and the internet, there's absolutely 0% chance that I ever connect with the four faces on my screen. It's not possible. So I came to anarchism by accident on my own. And then I go, okay, well, well, this is interesting. I have, I've discovered these new things through my own curiosity and my own study. And then I bumped into the Craig's and Cody's and Darren's and Paul's thanks to, you know, people like Stephen and Kayla that did the anarcho Christian group, but I didn't join the gang first. I kind of found my people along my own journey. And so when I see the word nation, regardless of the context, I can't help but have a negative connotation to that. Um, I saw a, a TikTok the other day. There's a guy named, um, Ryan Upchurch, he's some kind of, I think, country singer or some sort of independent musician. And there was some sort of kerfluffle, controversy, because some guy that ran something called Redneck Nation, uh, somebody did somebody dirty. And my comment to them was, guys, the problem here is nation. That's the word. It's not that, it, it's when you associate, or I'm sorry, when you identify by association, I am a blank and therefore I am good and noble and righteous because I am in the blank. That's when you become violent. That's when you become aggressive and coercive because as long as you're in a room with 25 or other 25 or 50 other vicious violent people that can say, yeah, I know, but it's okay. We're on the right side. It's okay that we commit these acts of coercion and violence because we're on the right team and give you all of the reasons and all of the justifications why that we can, we can enact violence upon people because we're on the right team. So while I believe that Christian nationalism is bad because you are tarnishing the name of Christ, you are actively trying to destroy the kingdom that exists. Nationalism is the root problem, and it's the gang mentality that is preyed upon by the state. Because, listen, you take a bunch of humans and, and you divide them up, bad shit's going to happen. No, I think, I think you're spot on. I, I've noticed that as well. Darren, go ahead. Yeah, I, th I think about the fact that the nationalist part of this equation is the root of the evil. The fact that even it, that it even exists, that there's even a sword to be born by anybody, that is the problem. The fact, and the, the secondary problem then is the fact that Christians then want to have that sword. I'm sure Paul and Cody, you guys, and another extent, Craig, you guys are 
a better scholar of church history than I am, but my understanding of church history, even reading through the Bible and the limited amount I know, is that the greatest amount of actual church growth is when the church is persecuted, not when they have the power. So if you if your vision of what you really want to see happen is the growth of the church, the expanding of the kingdom, you should really be looking to be persecuted. Obviously, I'm not advocating for persecution, but if you want the church to grow, you certainly want nothing to do with church, with nationalistic power, at least the way I read it anyway. For sure. And I mean, if, if you think about it, if, we were, if, if the church was behaving the way the early church was today, that we would be, be persecuted. The problem is the vast majority of the church is so entangled with the state that, that I mean, there's like they're bedfellows these days. You know, and it's I, I shared a meme on, on the page the other day. And it was just something I, was, I saw somebody else share. And it was if social media existed back when Jesus was running around, they called him, you know, uh, this uh, guy basically just causing all kinds of trouble. And I and I come I said in, in my caption of the, of the meme, I said, yeah, I'm convinced that if Jesus was walking around America today, the vast majority of the church would recognize him and he probably would be arrested again. You know, and I, and I think that's something that's missed because. What happens when you get a bunch of Christians who are trying to get this, what, what they see as an ideal Christian nation, but what if they don't agree on the same thing? What's going to happen? Are you going to have another sect? Then you got another denomination. You got another denomination. You know, I, I talk about the 40,000 plus denominations in America alone. And it's to me, it's just like somebody got mad at their pastor and went and started their own church. I see that as, as the same way if people were to secede from the, the perverts and the and the elites in DC, like Paul talks about, or was talking about, they're gonna. It's like you, they think that they can. There's gonna have some kind of perfect nation, Christian nation. That's just so asinine to me. When you're trying to use power in any in any on anything, it's antithetical to Jesus. It's antithetical to the teaching of the early church. But nobody goes back that far to read what was going on. They're so stuck in this in, in, in modern day uh, church mentality that they can't they don't they don't take the time to read what was going on then and how these folks were behaving when it came to the state and to think that they if you've just took five minutes to read these people you'd realize they had no interest in being a part of the Roman Empire they just did their own thing and they didn't call themselves a Christian nation either they were just following Christ you know and they and not all of them agreed I mean don't get me wrong the early church argued with about about a lot of things. But the, the what was universal was their no king but Christ mentality. That was there was no there's no mistake in that ideal. They had nothing to do with politics and nothing to do with the empire. Cody, go ahead. Yes, I, I was just going to say, like, um, I think Christian nationalism, uh, or, or, or we'll say mandatory Christianity, <laughs> can lead to a certain kind of growth. <laughs> um, but um, is it the kind of growth that is consistent with um, sincere uh, fruit, uh, or sorry, with, uh, with real fruit, with sort of sincere fellowship with Christ, um, the kind of self-denial, carrying your cross, um, uh, turning other cheek to follow Christ. You know, does mandatory Christianity foster that kind of Christianity? And, and the answer is no. And, and I think what Christian nationalism essentially does is it incentivizes false Christianity or false professions of faith. Um, so that you can sort of go along to get along. And I think what their hope is that if it just becomes, you know, um, you know, like, like, like the air you breathe or the water that you swim in, you, you just, you'll just sort of suck it in and you'll become a real Christian or maybe you're more likely to. 
Um, but, but, but I think, I mean, part of what being an evangelical means is that you acknowledge that there's a moment of crisis and a turning away from your sin toward Christ. And I think that that insight is an accurate insight. It's, 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 it's part of what it means to become a Christian. And if you sort of think in terms of, well, I'm a Christian because my country is or because my family is, then you've never reached that crisis point and you've never actually had a sincere conversion. Hey, folks, we have set up a very simple way to donate to the Bad Rumor Project through SpotFund.com. Just go to SpotFund and search No King But Christ. This has become necessary to continue to provide a quality podcast and keep production costs down as well. Just five or ten bucks a month will go a long way in helping us keep this project going and continue spreading the very basic message of No King But Christ. So if you like what we were doing and can find it within your budget, go to SpotFund.com and search No King But Christ and you can set up monthly donations or even donate one time. Any and all donations help more than you know. And as always, any donations above production costs will go directly to charities in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you all so much. Now back to the show. I'd like to kind of switch to like January 6th because this is something that is brought up quite a bit when people talk about Christian nationalism. And, and it's something that I hear from Christians on the left more. I don't, you don't, I don't hear Christians on the right really referring to January 6th as some kind of Christian nationalist movement. But when I hear from Christians on the left, this, they, that's what they're calling January 6th. And I would like to get y'all's thoughts on January 6th. I know Chris has got some opinions on, on January 6th. So I'm going to start with him first. First, a little quick January 6th story. Um, I was, I was still driving on the road as a truck driver. And I was in a truck stop in Virginia. I was eating at Denny's. And like the weather channel was on the television in front of me. And I get a text from a friend of mine that says, man, those idiots just broke into the Capitol. And I said, I thought, what? And so I called him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so he tells me. And so, uh, of course, I don't have any control of the television. So I, you know, I just go to Google and, and I see what's happening. A friend of mine was up there who had run as an independent for governor in uh, 2020, um, he was up there and I knew he was up there. I, I knew that there were at least like three or four buses that had left Charleston, West Virginia and, and had gone up there. Uh, cause this was inauguration day. No, it wasn't inauguration day. It was, uh, it was the day they were doing the, uh, what do they call that? The, uh, certified certification of the election or, or whatever. It was a procedure. And so I knew they were all going up there to wave their flags and, um, you know, because this is the people's house and this is our house and blah, 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 blah. And I think they had been led to believe that Mike Pence was going to um, be that last 11th hour savior that was going to keep Joe Biden from being president. Now, I do believe the whole thing was a setup. Um I've seen the videos of them opening the gates and pulling back the, uh, the, 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 the boundaries and take hey, y'all come on in. You know, um, the sad part about it to me was how many people were fooled by that, that believed that, I mean, I love that one picture of that old grandma. She's just walking through and she's looking around and she's just in awe I'm, oh, look, we're in the Capitol. You know, um, t- that was a, that was sad to me. Now, the most of the people that I knew were smart enough to be like, okay, we're getting the hell out of here. 
and they they went the opposite direction. I mean, when I see it, especially with these articles that uh, that uh, Christianity Today has written, that Keith Giles has written, and other people have written, and they'll call it the you know the deadly insurrectionist riot, blah 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 blah. And I'm thinking, I wish it was. I really wish it was. I mean, I'd buy popcorn to watch an actual insurrection. I think it would be hilarious. Long overdue. I mean, the, at this point, the American Empire is way more brutal and way more deadly than the Roman Empire ever was. So when I see that, and it's it's such a cheap shot. It's it's such low hanging fruit. This lowest common denominator of journalism that we're going to take something incredibly insignificant. We're going to blow it up. We're even going to go as far as to lie about the number of people that were killed. Uh, We're going to lie about the extent of the damage. And then, well, Christian nationalists, you know, and and it's all for their hatred of Trump. And, I mean, I wouldn't put Trump out if he was on fire. But, wow, what a hell of an entertaining political candidate, you know. I mean, I'm just, what's he going to say next? What's he going to say next that's going to trigger these single-celled organisms into having a stroke right on national television? You know, at that part, I'm all all in, you know? So I think the whole thing was a joke. I I, I hate that good, well-meaning people. There was a a lot of decent, good people up there that day. You know, delusional, uh, ignorant clueless, lost, um, but that was not their intent. Their intent was to go and wave their flag because they believed that their God, the state, that their great savior, Donald J. Trump, the new Cyrus, the new King Cyrus, um, was going to save them from the evils of blank. You know, So uh, that's my two cents on January 6th. I remember waking up to a message from you in, in our, our signal group chat and January 6th is right in the meat of my busy season at work. So I was pretty groggy, but I woke up, read the message and that's the first time in many, 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 many years that I've intentionally turned on corporate media just to find out what was going on. And I looked at it, I turned on Fox news. I went, I watched it for about five minutes and then I rolled over and went back to sleep. I don't understand what's going on. I don't necessarily care either, but people still talk about January 6th. It was a threat to our democracy. I don't know, man. Have y'all ever read about the Revolutionary War? Have y'all ever read that story? I mean, you to act like, and even Thomas Jefferson said, the whole idea of the Second Amendment is just if the, the government gets out of line, then the people are supposed to be able to take back their government at some point, you know, and not to get, to, not that I agree with all that stuff, but just, just, the idea that it was a threat and just to hear the politicians call it a threat to their democracy. That was a threat to your livelihood. The photos coming out of these, these cowards hiding under the seats. And at the same time, these same cowards will send young men and women into war across the world and won't even lift a finger to do it themselves. Go ahead, Cody. Yeah. I mean, so I, mean, I would just say, you know, first of all, just the, the kind of nuance of it, you know, not everyone is rioting or engaging in violence, but, you know, some were, and I think that's been pretty clear, clearly established from lots of the video footage that's been released. But just kind of looking at it, you know, as a moral event, I suppose, which is kind of how people tend to discuss it. You know, on the one hand, 
you know, the link, the, the sort of sacralizing of the Capitol. It was this holy place whose sanctity had been violated. I found to be, you know, super gross and idolatrous that you, that you saw on the left. Um, on the other hand, I mean, you know, the rioters were the real, you know, conservatives, you know, rule me, daddy. We don't want Biden. We want Trump. Um, but I, I, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think both sides were trying to participate in an illegitimate process for deciding who gets to rule me or me and you and everybody. Right. So, you know, the establishment's process was more orderly and it seemed more legitimate because it had history on its side, but both represent force and violence. So, you know, would I rather, you know, elites rule me than, you know, cousin Buford who thinks the lizard people are trying to make the frogs gay? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, but, but I think it's important to step back and take a bird's eye view of what happened you know, which is both sides want to rule you into hell with both of them. So, um, you know, I'm not, you know, what, what the, what the rioters were doing was gross. Not even the rioters, just the Trumpers in general, I thought was gross. And, but I'm not going to legitimate the process that that they were against, not because I thought necessarily there was some funny thing happening with the votes, but just because regardless of whether the votes are legitimate or not, it's an illegitimate process. Right. And I want to bring Darren in real real quick, because he he mentioned something when, when we were in Nashville, we were talking about this and, as much as the left was screaming at the right and how they were behaving that day, Darren pointed out these folks act the exact same way when it comes to anything else they want done through the government. And to pretend that they don't act, act the same way that the right does is pretty naive to me. And it seems like uh, they just don't want to recognize their own their own involvement with it. Like they're not the same as these these people they call that they are hate, hating on on the right. No, yeah, I, I that's why I. I define my or have my definition of christian nationalists as as i do as simply as i do because if you're i forget i think it was carrie baldwin maybe that i heard say this that left-leaning christians want to use the state to force people to obey the second of the two greatest commandments the right side wants to do wants to implement the first greatest commandment through the state so they're two sides of the same coin. They want to use the state. They just want to use it for different means. That now the left typically doesn't have the rah-rah flag waving patriotic BS that the right typically does. But I, that's why I see them as really no different. Now, do I have feelings or preferences that align with one side versus the other? Yeah, I'm sure I do. My preferences as far as how I would typically live my life. I live in a small town, so that's going to line up with one side better than the other typically speaking but that's it's by no means a cut and dried yep i'm in perfect alignment with you guys and i want to do everything you do no way i'm i'm i i can't line up with either one of them for that very reason it's this whole insurrection thing i was i had mixed feelings about it just because i i part of me was sad that people were so delusional like you said uh chris that there was such a delusional mentality that they thought that would make a difference the other part of me was laughing like you <laughs> kind of were, Craig. I just, I'm just, I was like, oh, I just kind of shook my head. And that was the extent of my reaction, pretty much. Go, Paul, give me your thoughts on January 6th real quick. And I, I want to kind of talk about QAnon a little bit and, and, and see what if that had anything to do with what was going on January 6th. And I noticed some stuff going on at work with, they had like these, these hand signals, and y'all can't see it, but y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. It looked kind of like, like an okay, but upside down. I would see that with folks at work kind of walking by each other and making this hand signal to each other. And I was like, and then I saw something online. It may be, it may be baloney too, but um, that it was some kind of hand signal that the QAnon numbskulls were, were, were all about. I don't know. 
I'm trying, I'm trying to use family-like language. Go ahead, Paul. No, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have that much more to add from what you know, Chris and Darren were saying, but essentially it's one of those things where it wasn't even fun just for this, for this reason that it's, you know, like Chris said, sort of well-meaning but ignorant and uh, clueless people being taken for the for a ride by what I believe are just sort of you know the, the three-letter agencies. I mean, <laughs> this was I mean worse than a caricature of an insurrection. It was um, so so pitiful. Like it, it wasn't it wouldn't even be believable on TV. You know, like if they were trying to say instead of a real insurrection, we're going to show you what a caricature looks like. It wouldn't even be believable as a caricature. So, but the, but the sad part is a lot of these people were played by the three-letter you know, who wanted to make an example out of, uh, I guess, some Megatrons and scare them into silence, and which I, th I think a lot of that worked, or at least worked to some extent. Yeah, but that's all I laughed. Anybody else, anything on, on January 6th that y'all like to add? I just wanted to bring it up because I find it interesting how one side uses it to call that Christian nationalism, and I just thought it was just a bunch of people completely misguided about believing in who they thought Donald Trump was. You know, and it sounds like... <laughs> It sounds like he got them all fired up and then pretty much abandoned them afterwards. And I think a lot of them came to understand that later, too, that he didn't really care about them, which is it, it's it's funny to see, too, that he still has a lot of a lot of support going into this next uh, presidential election, which I mean, the idea of another Biden Trump uh, presidential race sounds awful to me. Go ahead, Cody. It seems like kind of what you're asking is, is there any connection between January 6th and Christian nationalism? And, um, you know, to that, I would say, I think Christian nationalism is a continuum. And so you have kind of on the far end, something like theonomy, where they're like literally saying, you know, here's what the law of Moses says. We just need to enshrine that into our laws, you know, copy paste or, or maybe, you know, clean it up a little bit <laughs> to recontextualize it. Um, and so that's kind of the far end. But then you sort of you move kind of um, more to the left, I guess you'd say. And you have these sort of more, you know, sort of more subtle versions of that, maybe uh, leading into something like dominionism, which would be like, you know, Christians should have influence in all of these areas, including politics, um, so that, you know, the, the nation will end up looking more Christian as a whole because of it. That's a little bit kind of more vague. It's not necessarily like, uh, you know, no, you can't build a synagogue in America. <laughs> it's more like, you know, we just need to have, uh, we just need to be the majority and the dominant voice, right? Um, but I, I, I think that... Um, Probably there, there's a good, there were a good number of people on January 6th who were probably at least on that kind of left-leaning side of Christian nationalism at the very least. There are probably some who are farther right, but I think that maybe maybe even the majority you could say, well, they probably had that kind of make America great again, make it more Christian, make it more whatever. Um, that, that was probably at least kind of implicit in their, in their thinking. All right. Let's, I sent you guys an article from Christianity Today, and I was reading it last night, just, just reading it, kind of prepare for this a little bit. And I didn't agree with everything in the article. A lot of it was just the same status garbage that we hear from them. But there was a, there was a section that I found interesting, and in the, in the title of this section was, What Do Christian Nationalists Want That Is Different From Normal Christian Engagement in Politics? And I'd like to get y'all's thoughts on this. I'm going to read just the first part, and then I'll read the second part after we talk about this one. It's a uh, Christian nationalists want to define America as a Christian nation, and they want the government to promote a specific cultural template as the official culture of the country. Some have advocated for an amendment to the Constitution to recognize America's Christian heritage, others to reinstate prayer in public schools. Some work to enshrine a Christian nationalist interpretation of American history and school 
curricula, including that America has a special relationship with God or has been chosen by him to carry out a special mission on earth. Others advocate for immigration restrictions specifically to prevent a change to American religious and ethnic demographics or a change to American culture. Some want to empower the government to take stronger action to circumscribe immoral behavior. I don't have anything to disagree with that. I mean, I'm curious if y'all do, because I think they were right about this because I've seen it from different, the different Christian nationalists too. I mean, it seems like they want the government to force their way of thinking through laws. Like when it, like they mentioned, uh, prayer in schools and the immigration and all the, all, you know, all this stuff. Are y'all seeing this with other Christian nationalists, what they were talking about specifically here? Go ahead, Paul. There's a, there's a whole bunch of comments here, but, uh, I'm just going to comment on that last piece about the immigration thing. So there's, and I've seen this play out too, you know, sometimes Christian nationals will use the word Christian nationalism. Sometimes they use American nationalism. And, you know, for some people, these are distinct. For some, for some of them, it just all blends into one mushy thing. So my question is, I would ask people, okay, if you're a Christian nationalist, are you more aligned with a traditional value holding Christian family in Mexico or are you more aligned with your American white neighbors who are leftist, atheist, explicitly anti-Christian? And do you, you know, do you want to make a cho- an ex- explicit choice there? You know, if you have to choose between a Christian and an American, and does your worldview allow you to make a choice clearly, or or does it lead you to confusion? This is a question that I pose there. What so? Have you asked them this? And if, if, if so, have you got what kind of response are you getting from them? Because I think that's a great question to ask them. Yeah. So, I mean, the response is, you know, usually goes well. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, for the, sake, for the sake of cohesion and cultural cohesion, we need to ensure that we, we have sort of a, a culture that's cohesive. And then we can, uh, you know, think about, I, I mean, it, it's a, there's a lot of, it's a, it's a bl- blend of cop-outs and changing the subject kind of answers or non-answers. But, uh, yeah. This uh, th- this is sort of the pointed question I ask frequently. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, no answer. So basically, you're not really getting an answer from them. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seems like we run into that quite a bit. Like they, it, it, the, the conversation turn, goes in circles, and we never really get to the point where they're, what they're trying to do here. Because as a Christian, why are you – I mean, if you think about it, I saw some, a meme the other day, and it was a, it was a picture. It was of Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus, and it said, when you're so desperate to – move your family into another area to, to safety that you will do anything possible to do that. And it was and basically that's what Jesus were doing. When they were fleeing, you know, or I'm sorry, Mary and Joseph, when they were fleeing with the baby Jesus, you know, Cody, go ahead and say what you had to say. Yeah. I think the immigration piece is really interesting in, in this and it does open I think the door a little bit to questioning the relationship of Christian nationalism to ethno nationalism, ethnic nationalism, white nationalism. Um, it's, it's interesting that, you know, uh, Trump had made comments sort of saying, you know, essentially, he didn't say, say this way, but, uh, you know, I'd rather have uh, atheists from Sweden coming in than Christians from Mexico. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I think that, you know, the idea of um, religious immigration tests doesn't seem to line up with what the real concerns seem to be on the ground, which is that we're concerned about people coming in who are from a majority Christian country but are Mexican <laughs> or, or, you know, Guatemalan or something like that. And so um, it, it was interesting. I did a, um, um, 
uh, an episode or an interview uh, on um, another podcast called the Protestant um, Libertarian Podcast. We went through this statement on Christian nationalism and the gospel uh, that was released by some of those some of those folks. And when, when we were first, when I was first putting my notes together on it, I saw like a first draft, and they had added from the first draft to the second draft a change to what they had defined as a nation. So originally, they had said, "Yeah, you know, a nation could be, you know, comprised of multiple ethnicities." They were very keen to sort of say that we're not racist; we want to distance ourselves from ethno-nationalists. Uh, but they have a shared culture, a shared history, common interests, virtues, language, and worship. But then they added another word in the second draft. And um, I believe the word was lineage. And so some somewhere along the line, they thought, actually, maybe we do want a little bit of ethnonationalism. Um, and so I, I, I think that's that's something we, I think, really have to think about here. Uh, that there is, um, not not among all Christian nationalists, to be sure, but I, I think there there is definitely a, a tendency of ethnonationalism within the ranks as a whole that is, is, is concerning. Chris, go ahead. So this line, some have advocated for an amendment to the Constitution to recognize America's Christian heritage, others to reinstate prayer in public schools. I remember when I was in the, I want to say, fourth or fifth grade. So this is going to be around 1987, 1988. Something happened, and I've, I've, I've thought of this before, but I've never thought to look it up. Something happened where it wasn't prayer time, but it was a time to be quiet and reflect and put your head down on your desk. And I remember this lasting for like a month or a couple of weeks. And I need to go back. I don't know if it was just a state of West Virginia thing or some kind of national thing, but it had to have been 86, 87, something like that. And uh, And as this, so having experienced that, and then going through to my end of my schooling in 94, I always remember thinking, but there's nobody stopping you from praying. If, 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 you, if you sat down at the lunch table, I saw kids all the time. They would, they would bow their heads and pray over their food. And, you know, there was no Terry Tate office linebacker coming out to tackle them and you know, throw them into uh, into the cage into the dungeon for how dare you pray on on public ground? It didn't happen. And I was I'm like, why do you need that dictate from the state? Well, if you go to the the paragraph above that, is it really a problem or just an abstract worry? Now, this is probably the best line in the whole piece. They don't realize it when nationalists go about constructing their nation. They have to define who is and who is not part of the nation. But there are always dissidents and minorities who, who do not or cannot conform to the nationalist preferred cultural template. In the absence of moral authority, which my kids and I, I've taught them since they were little kids what real authority is, and that's when someone's responsible for you. If someone is not in any way responsible for you, they have no authority over you, period. So the, the article goes on, the absence of moral authority, nationalists can only establish themselves by force. How they can write that sentence and not realize, because that's a very left-leaning kind of progressive uh, outfit, the cot, it's the pot calling the kettle black, which, which I think I heard the other day is racist. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> you know, because they're both black, I guess. I don't know. Um, but... 
everything's racist, you know? Um, but th- that force, you know, it, I'm, I'm convinced that no one on planet Earth hates, loathes, and despises liberty and freedom more than Americans. Nobody on planet Earth hates it more than they do. They wave their flag and, oh, and land of the free and home of the brave and I'm free. And I, no, you're not. You're absolutely not. You're not free to do anything you want to. Oh, well, what do you want? I said, look, I'm not going to rest until transgender illegal aliens can protect their pot plants with a bazooka. Okay? I don't care because it doesn't affect me. But I've, I have, I have, I've emancipated myself from the nationalists because I grew up one, you know. I've emancipated myself, able to say, yeah, I believe that, and I'm comfortable with that. And if you don't like it, tough. And I don't believe that, and I'm comfortable with that. And if you don't like it, tough. Have a Coke and smile. Cody, go ahead. Um, so, uh, yeah, so one thing that I think um, – maybe we could kind of get a little meta and stand back a little bit and just kind of look at this from a philosophical lens is that um, there's an an intentional rejection of the liberal tradition among Christian nationalists, free markets, free speech, freedom of religion, that kind of stuff. Um, Many Christian nationalist Catholics actually call themselves post-liberal integralists, which means they want to move backwards past the liberal tradition of freedom and back to medieval integration of church and state. And, And I know that not all Christian anarchists necessarily concern themselves with political philosophy, um, but, but to me, the rejection of this, I mean, relatively quite good philosophy, which is far more consistent with Christianity because it believes in freedom of religion and, and the rejection of violence, at least up to a, to, to a much greater degree than, than any of these other, uh, philosophical tradition, political philosophical traditions do. Uh, the fact that they're rejecting this, I think is very disconcerting to me. If you want to go further than liberalism and say, yeah, that's great. But if you're really consistent, you'd be an anarchist. That's great. But to say, well, actually, I want to move backwards. I want to go back before we realized that freedom of speech and freedom of religion and free markets was, <laughs> you know, was a good thing. Uh, that, that I mean, I, I think anyway, that, that to me is, is is pretty disturbing. Darren? It's just funny that there's so much of there's so much cognitive dissonance in, in the way it's approached. I just it just boggles my mind and I, it shouldn't boggle my mind because I was one of them like you, like Chris, you and Greg both all said. I was formerly one, but I've graduated, if you want to call it that, I guess. Do you ever find yourself getting frustrated with, with these folks when you're talking? Because you, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, I also grew up that way as well, or, or believe the same way as, as well. But now that you know what it looks like and what, what it, you see it for what it is, do you ever get frustrated with these people? Or you just maybe plant your seed and then you move on? It depends on my mood, whether I'm going to move on or not. Sometimes I'll get stuck in these threads on social media about this topic and then I have to work my way out of it. It's funny. I don't get all my notifications on Facebook. I'll, I'll see something pop up on one of my Facebook posts that I didn't even know people commented. But man, if I'm if I'm in a thread about Christian nationalism, Facebook reminds me to keep talking to these people about Christian nationalism. And I really get tired of the conversation after a while because it just goes nowhere every once in a while. You'll get somebody be like, they kind of see what we're saying. One of them was, uh, he's uh, still in the military and he was actually started, was asking some decent questions about what we were talking about, or what we were talking about in the thread. Chris, go ahead. More and more, I feel like Luke Wilson's character in Idiocracy. Y'all know we could just put water on the plants, right? You know, like, like I, I feel that way. Like it, it's very simple. 
but I see things in, in social media and, and, and I see people interacting with things. I'm, I'm Gen X, right? Born in 76, lived uh, my, my adolescent years in the 80s and 90s. The average American's ignorance of some basic, very recent history. I saw this cute little TikTok of this girl talking about burning CDs back in the day when we would, that was our playlist. You know, we would steal music from the internet. We would download it illegally. And we would, cause we weren't going to go to the store and pay 15 bucks for a CD. Um, and so we would, we would download this and we would listen. We, it was real complicated. I mean, we would go to very, very complicated lengths to get this music, to put it on a CDA, CD, put it in the car, then the, then the thing wouldn't read it because you didn't format it right. It was a lot of work. But the fact that there are human beings, and people blame this on social media, and I'm like, social media has nothing to do with it. You, you have a device in your pocket that gives you access to all of the known information to ever exist. You're the problem. It's, it's not the phone's fault. It's not the internet's fault. It's you. It's your fault. You don't, you have no curiosity. It's been completely bred out of you in government schools. You have no ability to ask questions. You have no ability to wonder, well, how's that work? I don't know. Let me Google it. And to completely, I, I don't, I never experienced, uh, I'm trying to think of an antiquated technology off the top of my head, but things that existed before I was born that that were replaced by technology. Well, I never experienced, but I'm a, I was aware of it. I was aware that back in the day you had to do a certain, uh, uh, Oh, what was the thing with the telephone where they had the switchboards and they had to plug, you know, I never experienced that, but I knew it existed. Now we have people that have no concept or clue how things in the world worked just 10 years ago. And when you show it to them, they're like, Oh my God, I can't, I can't believe it. So, this whole nationalist problem is exacerbated by ignorance and an unwillingness to answer questions because what you get in the government schools, especially over the last 50 years, and in most churches, is shut up, slave. That guy over there is the expert. If you'll just do everything he tells you, everything will be fine. So sit down and shut up. Don't ask questions. Right. Well, go ahead, Cody. I I had a quick thought, too. When you talk about cognitive dissonance, I mean, Essentially, it's freedom of religion for me, but not for thee. You know, I, I get to decide what freedom of religion looks like, and and you need to shut up. <laughs> so yeah, there, there, there's absolutely an inconsistency there. Go ahead, Paul. Craig, you were asking about you know whether you know, we get frustrated or not. In in the early days, I would get frustrated and get into these threats, but now nowadays it's gone more into sort of just say what I want to say, and you know, as you noted, things I want to say are quite. Um, sharp or incisive and then I, I don't really care if people show up to argue if people ask questions i'll answer them but i'm not into debating anymore uh, i just plant seeds uh, but so one thing that has helped is and this article that you sent the christianity today article actually helped with that process because you know you know i also came from the right and from from sort of the social conservative side of things and so i like to preach to the home crowd because that's the crowd i'm trying to reach so but then you have this other side, the left liberals, which Christianity Today represents. And when they attack uh, the, the right, that's even more brain dead <laughs> than, than, than sort of the right. And then, then you're like, oh, man, it's like you're trying to preach to your crazy uncle, but some 
crazy guy down the street is attacking your uncle. So now you have to defend your uncle. It's like, <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, because this dynamic is going on, um, and I've given up on getting frustrated. I mean, it's, it's helped with that and sort of go, gone into a mode of just plant that seed, answer sincere questions when people ask it. Don't worry about people getting triggered. Just ignore that. And sort of that's been my mode recently. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the best approach. I mean, I'm not great at it. I think I've gotten better at it. I've gotten to the point where I, even if I get somebody responding to something that I've said in one of these threads, I'll go, if I have time, I'll go read what they said. If it's not a sincere question, if it's not, if it's just the same garbage I have been already expecting from these folks, then I don't, I don't even answer them anymore because it just doesn't, I've already said what I have to say. I've shared enough with, from what the early church was saying about this stuff, you know, when, so I don't have anything else to say. There's no reason to argue this. There's a whole thread here that you can go back and, and read what I've had to say and others have had to say as well. And then let's move on to something. Let's just move on. If, if it's not, if it's not registering with you, I can't do anything about that. So that's when it's time to move on. I've, I've said what I have to say. Go ahead, Darren. Yeah. I, in my mind, I, I kind of liken it to whatever you want to call the quote, traditional evangelical conversion experience. There, there's like a, a moment of awakening, but unfortunately a lot of that, there has to be things leading up to that. So for me, and I think for you, our, our Liberty quote unquote stories are pretty similar. It was the Donald Trump nomination in 2016 that kind of, for me, started the dominoes tumbling to get me to where I'm at today. And so I, I view my job as someone to just throw something out there to get someone's mind to shift a little bit in their thinking. For example, my, my kids, I'm trying to teach them that here recently the, um, that just because something's legal doesn't mean it's moral. And that's such a, a shift in thinking that people are like, especially if you've grown up in the way I've grown up in I mean, traditional Midwest. Oh, yeah, you obey the law. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, okay, well, what happens when the law doesn't line up with what we know to be morally correct? And, and you can almost, when it clicks, you can see the light start to come on and then, then you know that. The seed has been planted that the, they can at least have a chance of beginning to have some critical thinking ability. Right. Well, when, what I love about these these threads is, especially if it's something that I post on my personal page and I get a back and forth with somebody, what, what I love about it is the messages I get from people that are reading it that are not commenting in the thread because they have they actually have some sincere, some sincere questions about what we're talking about. And it's not some kind of, circular circular uh, conversation I, I hate those but i do appreciate and i do get excited when somebody will message me privately and say well what did you mean here exactly i mean you know if there's something they're not getting and then we can talk about it that's what i do appreciate that, that gives me the opportunity to talk to somebody one-on-one who is seriously curious because they're recognizing there's something wrong here some of this doesn't make any sense i've got some questions those are the people i actually want to talk to go ahead paul when Darren mentioned the, uh, something there, it, it pointed me to this section in the article, the section that says, how is Christianity different from Christian nationalism? Towards the end of the first paragraph, um, you know, they, they sort of show their true colors, right? I mean, the, what they are advocating for is a logical contradiction. And I, I'm going to read this out. You know, they, they're like, oh, yeah, this Christian nationalism is bad. We need to be pluralistic and things like that. And there is no single view on what political implications flow from the Christian faith. Now, if they had put a period over there, I, I would at least excuse them. I'd be like, okay, fine. You can live with that misunderstanding. 
but they go on to say other than so here here they are not declaring their creed right this is where they plant the flag so they're, they're like we got to be pluralistic except for this one thing namely that we all should agree that christianity means we should honor the king pay our taxes love our neighbors and seek justice and the last two parts actually is true right that is christianity seek justice and loving neighbors but sort of this cognitively dissonant blind spot to saying the exact opposite, <laughs> namely that this, this, this misunderstanding that Christianity represents a new kingdom, a new political reality that opposes all the kingdoms of the world, um, you know, and sort of, sort of and, and, you know, this is expected, but it's, when you see this in writing, it's, it's that much more stark and it sort of stands out. It stood out to me. So. All right. Let me read the second part and then we'll, then we'll close with this and then get everybody's ideals on it. Cause I thought this part was interesting as too. And I don't know if this is the part you're reading from Paul or not, but I want to read the whole thing. It says some again, like the scholar Samuel Huntington have argued that the United States government must defend and enshrine its predominant Anglo Protestant culture to ensure the survival of American democracy. And sometimes Christian nationalism is most evident not in its political agenda, but in the sort of attitude with which it is held. An unstated presumption that Christians are entitled to primacy of place in the public square because they are the heirs of the true or essential heritage of American culture. The Christians have a presumptive right to define the meaning of the American experiment because they were themselves, as America's architects, first citizens and guardians. Paul, go ahead. So, you know, it's Anglo-Protestant culture. That means Orthodox people are out. But even more importantly, the Catholics are out. So we're back to Irish need not apply, I think. Right? And I wonder sometimes if they actually believe that. Not that the people write it, but if, if there are people that, that do believe that we need to get back to the Anglo-Protestant uh, mentality. I mean, I, I mean, maybe some of them do. And if they, maybe they all do, then not everybody says it out loud. I don't know. I think the bigger problem is they don't know what they believe. Yeah. They have to be presented with something and go, yeah, that sounds good, you know. But they've never, they've never examined their own beliefs because they're terrified to ask questions. Because if they ask a question, then someone can say, "Oh my gosh, how can you have such a wrong belief?" Um, I, I remember when my my so it's been seventeen years. My my wife was pregnant with my oldest, and we were going to a church that I grew up in. My mom and dad had gone there since like 64 or something, right? And this was like a second family. Well, the minister, pastor, whatever, had a friend that gave these talks on Revelation. And the guy was really, really good. He wasn't great, but he was pretty good. And what he was saying was probably very close to what we would probably believe as Christian anarchists about the eschatology and, and, and things in Revelation. And so after this guy had come and given a few talks, then there was like a Wednesday night and it was a question and answer. And I'm like, oh, great. I have questions. I have lots of questions. And so I asked him to raise my hand and I said, hey, um, but what if a day wasn't a day? And he, he was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you know, that creation, like, like, what if that's not the same calendar that we're using? Like, I of course, this was, I was context is what I was looking for, but I didn't know how. It took me another 10 or 15 years before I got there. Dude was horrified. The look on his face was like, you can't ask that question. Because if you ask that question and you go down that road, then the Bible's not going to be infallible anymore. 
and the building is going to burn down and it's express train ticket to hell. So people are in American culture and I'm, I'm sure it's a first world thing. I, I would, I would have to assume that there's a bunch of this stuff that the third world couldn't give a rip about, you know, they're just trying to eat and live to tomorrow. But in the first world, we've gotten to a point where here we are supposed to be in this most sophisticated society ever known to man. And most people's thinking level is on the level of like an amoeba, you know, and, and they, they cannot come up with an original thought. So someone has to do the thinking for them, provide them a multiple choice answer and go, Oh, C I'm always good with C just check C and everything will work out. Yeah. That reminds me, not to get too far off topic, but I got into this another thread the other day and somebody was, it was about the Jason Aldean song. And I said, the stuff that you guys get so distracted by is so trivial to me. I don't understand. This is a song. <laughs> and then, then one lady's like, yeah. she commented, she's like, well, it's uh, the underlying uh, racial something or other that's involved in the song. I have uh, full disclosure. I've not listened to the song. I can't stand Jason Aldean. I have no interest in listening to the song. That being said, I said, you're you're upset about a song while there's children being forced into slavery in this human trafficking ring that's going on. You got children trying to find ways to eat across this world because governments are killing indiscriminately. And you're worried about a country, quote unquote, country song. It's not country, by the way. It's a quote unquote country song that you're upset about. And then I did the hashtag goldfish. <laughs> and then she said something else. And then I responded again. This other guy commented. He goes, why are you using the tag goldfish? I said, because y'all cannot remember from day to day what happened a week ago. You can't remember. And you're upset today about a song. And in three weeks, you're going to be upset about something completely different. A month ago, y'all were, people were pissed off about a bear can. What the hell is going on with you people? You're upset about this, a song and a bear can, when people are dying because of the government exists. And then I then I just stopped responding to one, one guy. Finally goes, well, I do I kind of understand the goldfish tag now. I was like, good. And then I went on about my day. Well, Craig, it's for people like you that I take the Jason Aldean song and I put it over pictures of the cop kicking somebody's door down at the wrong house or arresting a dad playing with his kids in the in the park during COVID, you know, because he specifically says, y'all try that in a small town. Hey, Hoss, they already did. And y'all didn't do jack shit about it. Okay. Right, right. I did see that video that you put together. That was pretty impressive. I did I did like watching that. I'm a man of many talents. <laughs> uh, Cody, Darren, do y'all have anything to say about that second uh, part of that article that I wrote or, or read? I'm sorry. As, as someone who's spent a significant amount of time in a cross-cultural missionary environment, um, just Paul's comments about the exclusion of <laughs> the, the ethno-nationalism, that whole realm, it's just... I, it gets my hackles up a little bit because it, it's clearly coming from people who have never spent any time questioning or trying to rightly divide their culture from their Christianity. And that was during our missionary training that we went through before we even went on the field. That was a class that we had went through was that was made very evident that, look, some of the things you believe as a Christian are not Christian, and you need to learn how to divide those things and see for what it truly is. That was really the, the domino that started me coming down this path, even though the the moment really I chalk it up to the, the Trump nomination 
But it was really that training that started the dominoes rolling even before then, even though I didn't realize it at the time. So that's that kind of thing just really gets my hackles up when people just can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. There you go. Cody, go ahead. So yeah, the, the question, uh, should Anglo-Protestants have primacy to ensure the survival of, we'll say our society and not democracy, since no one here really cares about democracy. <laughs> um, as people who um, believe there's no king but Christ, as we do, um, I think it can be difficult sometimes to think in terms of our identities that aren't explicitly Christian. Uh, but if we're going to live with our non-Christian neighbors peacefully and happily, I think that we probably do need some kind of shared cultural identity that binds us together. Uh, and if we uh, aren't, can't force them to become Christian, uh, then we need to think of another one. Uh, and I think that's where the liberal tradition, uh, which incidentally was largely Anglico and also uh, a bit Protestant in its derivation, uh, does come in. I, I think it, it recognizes an idea that we as Christians do hold to, which is the brotherhood of man and the natural rights of all human beings. Uh, but it doesn't posit, as Christian nationalists do, that Hindus, atheists, and Muslims are required to stay silent or have to be put in the stocks. So I think we can affirm that as, as kind of a sort of these shared values, what we might call natural rights, something to that effect. Uh, but that doesn't have to, but that won't necessarily compromise our loyalties or values. So I don't think that uh, Anglo-Protestantism is the, is the proper identity that uh, we and our neighbors have to ground ourselves in. But I do think that a, a belief in that tradition of freedom, I think if we're going to get along with our neighbors, uh, I think that's probably something that we should want to share together. Love it. This has been great, guys. Any final thoughts on Christian nationalism? Then I'm going to get whatever y'all want to plug. I'm going to let y'all plug whatever you want to plug. Then I'm going to let y'all get back to your Sunday. I know, Cody, you've got a podcast. Chris got a podcast. I don't, Paul, you've done some writing in the past. If y'all want to plug any of your stuff, Darren, if you've got anything new going on, let me know. Then Cody, go ahead and plug your stuff. Yeah, um, I've got a concluding thought, too, if that's all right. Just a short one. Yeah, please do. Yeah, so um, um, I wrote this out, and I thought it sounded nice, so I'm going to say it. Um even though, even though God sent prophets like Jeremiah to Judah, telling them not to fight back against Babylon, and their nationalistic fervor, they punished, silenced, and jailed these prophets. They assumed that God was a nationalist and resisted his will. As a result, Babylon's armies marched into Judah, destroyed the temple, killed the sons of King Zedekiah, and then gouged out his eyes. There's a parallel here to Christian nationalism, except in Christian nationalism, the blindness comes first. So my name is uh, Cody Cook. Um, I'm a contributor at the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm an author, uh, host of the podcast, Cantus Firmus, C-A-N-T-U-S. There's a space, then F-I-R-M-U-S. Uh, my latest book is What Belongs to Caesar, and it's available on Kindle, paperback, hardcover, and at Audible. And that's that's pretty much it for now. <laughs> That'll do it. Awesome. Chris, go ahead and plug what you want to plug. And I'll... Well, I'm one half of the team that hosts the Blue Ribbon podcast. Uh, streamed live on uh, Friday nights on Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. We are a trucking company that teaches people how to make the jump from employee to uh, business person. Um, so blueribbonlogistics.com. Uh, check us out on TikTok. And, you know, that's where I do most of my troublemaking and stirring stuff up is on TikTok. Uh, so y'all come over and see us. If you're in the trucking industry and you're interested in learning how a proper trucking business is run, come check us out. Even if you're not in the trucking business, I recommend going and listen to stuff Chris puts on TikTok. I mean, I know nothing about the trucking industry other than what Chris has told me when I've had him on the show to talk about it. But I, I still enjoy watching his TikTok videos and the, and the tangents he'll go on. Those are those are pretty pretty funny to me. Paul, do you got you want to plug your? Yeah. So so mostly thanks, Craig, and uh, so mostly I rant on Facebook. Uh, or and if you can find me at Paul Varki Pariel. My posts are public. 
I think over the last three years, my focus has been on uh, sort of how the institutional Christian churches and leadership or self-described leadership uh, went into bed with the state, especially uh, surrounding sort of, you know, the mandates and the lockdowns and things surrounding the COVID regime. And so I try to um, illuminate how the state uses media to essentially hypnotize people and into that uh, sort of program, uh, even many self-described church leaders sort of fell in without any discernment at all. So that, that most of my rants have that theme over the last three years. But uh, yeah, you can look me up and I'll be glad to engage with you. Thank you, Fred. Yes, please look up Paul Perial. We are all better people because of his rants on Facebook. Amen to that. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. Darren, so you don't have anything to plug, any final thoughts? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out and get back to Sunday. No, I appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you guys. I, I echo everything everyone here has said. Uh, I love Paul's uh, posts. Uh, I think at one point, maybe a year or so ago, I had I reached out to Paul saying, hey, I, I, I just need to apologize because I used to think you came off as pretty brash. But then after listening to a couple of <laughs> Christian nationalists on the from the left, I was like, okay, I understand where you're coming from. And I understand why you are so <laughs> forward with that. And I applaud you and everything else with that goes with that. So I appreciate that very much. We need to get busy. Uh, I was planning the next bad Roman meetup and, and Paul, I got to tell you this too. It, it seems like ever, not everybody, but that was there, but everybody was familiar with, with you that was there was like, man, I wish Paul was here. <laughs> I wish Paul could have made it to the meetup because <laughs> everybody wants to pick Paul's brain. And Chris was, the same with Chris too. Everybody wants to hear Chris. I'd like to get Chris and Paul together in person and just sit back and drink a beer and just watch them just go back and forth and talk. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be fun. That'd be fun. All right, guys, I'm going to let y'all get out here and, and get back to your families and uh, the rest of your day. Thanks for doing this. And I, pre- I really do appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Bad Roman.